0: Welcome to Behind the Podium, a podcast series produced by GTS Educational Events that lets you hear what speakers are saying before or after the podium mic is turned on. Join me, your host, Jasper Appleton, to find out what makes these speakers tick and discover new insights about topics that matter to you on each episode of Behind the Podium. Welcome back to the Behind the Podium podcast. I'm your host, Jasper Appleton, and with me today is Haley Cohen. Haley is a threat gamification engineer and executive security advisor for IBM Security Command. Haley, thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to talk to you more about what I do and really just shedding light on what goes on at IBM security command.
0: Give us so so the listeners know who aren't familiar with you or what you do. Give us a rundown about what a typical day of working at the um, IBM security command is like.
1: Yeah. So that's probably the question that I get most often. And I think it's really interesting and probably the best part of this job is that there really isn't a typical day every day here is different, especially because I'm on the road so much. So there's certain days where I'm playing the role of a hacker, which is what a lot of the listeners may have seen at the GovIT Symposium or at other conferences. Um, And that's probably my favorite thing to do, um, is to get to be the hacker and to give those demonstrations and really give that, that, that insight of what the hackers are up to. But also what goes on at the command center is that we have a cyber range where we put on simulated breach scenarios and let organizations kind of test out their different plans, see if they have weak spots, figure out what their gaps are, really test things out before they maybe end up with a a real cyber incident. So a big part of what I work on is actually building those scenarios. So if I'm not on the road speaking at a conference or doing one of these demos, I could be spending my day meeting with clients, trying to understand What should these scenarios look like? What are the different pieces that we wanna test out? And really building those out. So it's not just a technical role. Um, I do have a technical background. I studied computer science um, at Tufts University, which is uh, here in Boston. So I have that background, but a big part of what I do is also the creative side. So, you know, maybe Photoshopping a screen to look like it was infected with a certain kind of malware or uh, creating a video of a breaking news uh, loop of a reporter reporting about a, 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 a potential data breach. So really getting to use all of those different pieces to build those scenarios. Um, and then there's the actual facilitation of those scenarios. So if I'm not in those meetings and I'm not in the road, maybe I'm in the actual cyber range delivering these uh, scenarios, running through uh, the facilitation alongside with my great and awesome teammates.
0: Yeah, and in your article, Confessions of a Spy Kid, you talk about how the movie Spy Kids and the Spy Survival Guide inspired you to become a spy, ultimately leading you down the path of cybersecurity. Do you remember the first cypher you ever cracked with your spy club on the playground?
1: Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so maybe not the actual cypher, but there is this one thing that we used to do. Um And I should preface that like I knew this was make believe I knew that the real- the things i were was doing was not real spying or anything, right. but we used right. to write messages, <clears throat> it would be like a Caesar cipher, so you know just letters shifted, nothing too advanced, but we would write messages, and then we had this i don't know where we got it, but we had this timer, and it was it didn't have a battery, it was like it had the uh, like solar panel thing that like old calculators yeah. had yeah. and we would start the timer and then we would bury the note and the timer behind this one specific tree. And in our wow. mind, it was almost, if you think of like metadata, like an actual, you know, technology, yeah. I think in our minds, that's what we were doing mm-hmm. because like, so in our elementary school, half the students had uh recess first and then lunch, or vice versa. So we would leave these notes and start the timer so that when our supposed team members would come out for recess, they could retrieve the message and know when it started. I don't know why, you know, they knew that we had just put it there. I don't know why we thought we (laughs) needed this timer, but I thought it was the coolest thing. And I would like, I lived really close to the playground. So I would like come check on the weekends and see if the timer was still running. Like this timer was like a key component. And I don't know why that was just like the one thing that stands out the most.
0: Yeah. And you, and you compare it to, to kind of metadata. So these ciphers and these, these things you created, how does, how how are those similar to to what you do now? I think
1: a lot of it is the, is the mindset and kind of just trying to build, The different pieces together and kind of just understanding how pieces can be hidden. Um, A lot of it isn't necessarily realistic. You know, a timer isn't totally realistic, but the idea that a time associated with a message is going to give you an indication of what this information might mean. Mm -hmm, Um, And mm -hmm. the idea of, information needing to be obfuscated with even a simple Caesar cipher that you know, our passwords shouldn't just be stored in plain text. So just the little kind of reasons why we did things on the playground align pretty closely with the same reasons why we do things in cybersecurity,
0: yeah, and that just kind of inspired you to to kind of want to chase that that spy dream, and, and, and now fast forward to where you are today, where you're practically living the life of a spy. What is something you've done in your career that has made that ten year old in khakis and a polo give you an internal fist bump, letting you know that you had made her dream a reality?
1: Yeah. So also, in case anyone hasn't read this post so we're <laughs> right, talking yes. about, please please read it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the khakis and polo shirt thing. Um, There was an article in a Disney adventures magazine that explained how to dress like a spy kid. Uh, This was like a month after spy kids came out. I was 10 years old. Um, And it said, it actually wasn't the main character. It was Gertie um, for anyone who's a big spy kids fan. yes. Um, But it was that you wore khakis and a polo shirt and like these kind of dark (laughs) sunglasses. Um, And I had khakis and a polo shirt because I was in Girl Scouts. It was part of the uniform. So I just wore those anytime I could because that's just what a spy wore. So that's the explanation for that. But to answer your question, um, I would say it's when I have a breakthrough doing my open source research. So a key component to my demos is open source intelligence. So all of the stuff that's publicly available about us. And when I'm doing demos for a specific client or an organization, Oftentimes, someone will volunteer or be voluntold that they're going to be kind of my target. And I do OSINT research around them, trying to figure out uh, personal information, family members' names, really just any piece of information that a threat actor might be able to use. And I really use the same tools and tactics that the threat actors are using. But sometimes... It's a little harder to find anything. They maybe have a more generic name. They've gone through their security practices and they're locked down. Um, depending on their role, sometimes they are locked down because of that. So sometimes it can take me a good two hours to just get a lead. And there's moments where I'm like, you know, I'm not going to find anything. I'm just mm-hmm. going to have to kind of give in to this and explain. You know, there are scenarios. But whenever I find that one random piece that leads me to finding the rest of it. It's that is definitely the 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 internal fist bump and everyone on my team knows it because I like kind of throw my hands in the air. I'm like, ah, I got it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, we can do this. And sometimes it's the smallest thing. Like uh, they donated to their old college and it had their spouse's name next to it. And then finally I have a spouse to go investigate. So it's just the smallest things where you feel like a spy. You found what you were looking for.
0: That's awesome. And I, I, Growing up, I was a huge Spy Kids fan, seeing every single one of them. Um, And so just seeing as you're an expert on cybersecurity and with more and more spy movies slash shows adding in scenes where they kind of, air quote, hack into a system, what movie or TV show that you've seen most accurately depicts the things that IBM Security Command deals with?
1: Yeah. So this is probably one of those other questions that I get pretty often. Uh, And I'm going to admit that I'm not someone who knows like all of the TV shows and movies. So I know like Hackers and Sneakers, those are all movies that people talk about. Mm -hmm. But I am like known for not getting movie references. (laughs) So Actually, my answers might not be kind of the typical ones. You know, there's war games that I think everyone agrees is kind of the standard for what hacking was in the 80s with the phone freaking. Um, And, you know, Mr. Robot has been talked about a lot as being the most technically accurate. Um, But for me, the one that I think actually aligns the most with what I do is Catch Me If You Can, um, which is about Frank Abagnale. It has Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: For anyone who doesn't know what that is, please go watch it.
0: Amazing movie. I just I actually just watched that a couple of weeks ago.
1: For the first time.
0: Yeah, for the first time. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm glad we're doing this after you.
0: (laughs) I know, know, I know, I know. (laughs) Um,
1: But really, because what he's doing is a lot of social engineering and Mm -hmm. reconnaissance and even open source intelligence. And it was a different day. He wasn't doing things on his iPhone or anything like that. But being able to play on the human psychology and human factors and those different pieces is what got him to be able to pull off the different pieces that he did. And really, that's what hacking is. Um, especially when it comes to social engineering, so for me, that's really what aligns the most. Um, and then there's a new special on Netflix. Uh, Don't f with cats. Uh, Going to leave that to be as well. there,
0: yeah. but you
1: know that's not about hacking at all. But the way that the cat obsessed fans um, mm-hmm. kind of pull on the different pieces to figure out where the guy is located, I won't give it away, um, also pulls on those kind of social engineering pieces. So. You know, everyone has their opinion on the standards and whatnot, but I think there's some movies out there and different shows that are maybe a little different, but still align, you know, if you think about the human pieces of everything.
0: Yeah. And I I think that the the social aspect is, at least for me, the most surprising thing, because uh, when you think about IBM uh, security and and all this, a a lot of people think like, you know, it's just a lot of just kind of tech savvy people who are just writing lots and lots of codes, but it's, it's more of just kind of that spy aspect, which made you, which is what made you fall in love with it. Um, And I think that's just super interesting. And so that kind of social aspect is, is that a huge part of threat gamification or is that, you know, a, a little bit different?
1: So I would say the social engineering aspect is a big part of what we focus on in our scenarios. And then the threat gamification is really taking those attack vectors, whether it's social engineering, whether it's malware, taking what the real attacks are and turning it into something gamified. So if you think of different video games or kind of different things that take various stories and kind of turn them into something gamified where you can play along, that's really what the threat gamification is. So taking a social engineering idea and turning it into a phone call that comes into the cyber range where you have to deal with it, or taking mm-hmm. real malware and turning it into uh, an image that pops up on your screen. Um, luckily, our space is actually air-gapped and we have our own network. So we're actually able to introduce um, real malware and some different pieces. But again, it's all gamified. It's simulated,
0: uh, yeah. almost
1: like a flight simulator. So you can test all of these different things out. And if you fail, you're not failing in real life. You can kind of hit redo, rewind and go at it for a second chance.
0: Yeah and and, and you do that to, to help prepare other companies into seeing what the real world will be like and I, yeah and I, is there any is there any times where you've, you've kind of walked in and you just threw all this stuff down and you' were like, we got into your system. it was this easy and just what were what were the reactions kind of like for from, from those the people that hired you to, to kind of you know show them?
1: So I think that those pieces actually come up more in my hacker demos than in the scenarios themselves. Um, Since the scenarios are more gamified, they're not necessarily seeing the behind the scenes where we're finding the real attacks and things like that. But in the demos, a big piece that I focus on is trying to find examples from their own organizations. So we have a a team here called X-Force Red, and they do full-on penetration testing. And that's where they actually will uh, identify different Gaps and kind of holes in a in a system for an organization, and provide those reports. So, I don't necessarily touch on that piece, but I do try to find at least a level of indication that you know there is stuff out about you. So, there's a website called PasteBin, um, which is a publicly available website, and it's really just a place where people dump text. Um, right. So. Lots of passwords and usernames and emails. Lots of random things end up there. Um, mm-hmm. So usually I'll just do a quick search and see if there's an organization um, has emails associated with that organization and their passwords are on PasteBin. And a lot of times they are because organizations, corporate members, use their emails outside of the workplace for Correct. ease of use, for convenience, whatever, um, and their passwords end up there. And it's even those little details. You know, it's not a specific system, but just that. There's someone in their company whose password out there gets the, oh, okay. This is something we have to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times I get brought in to do these demos when organizations are having trouble getting buy-in from maybe their executives. They're not seeing that this is relevant to all of them. So I'll come in, maybe I've done OSINT on the executives. Maybe I have an email and a password, something along those lines. And the takeaway is generally, that was scary. But I now understand that this is relevant. This is important yeah. for all of us. And then we can kind of move into conversations from there.
0: We talked a little bit about the truck in our emails. I don't, I, I don't know if the rebrand name is out, but I do want to know, is that can you work while it's moving like on the road?
1: No. So the truck itself takes four hours to set up. Um, wow. And there's actually a dedicated team that drives it and sets it up and all of that. And they're awesome and we love them, but they yeah. travel with them. So they set up, it takes four hours to set up and four hours to break down.
0: Yeah, and for uh, the, people the people who, people don't, who don't know, know just, just look, look up, up the IBM, IBM uh, uh, security. security. Truck, I, I know they got a, a new, a new brand name um, or, 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 or in is is the word, but, but it is one of the coolest things I've ever a, seen. I mean, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's, a semi, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a semi that they've, they've reconstructed, reconstructed into, into basically, basically this operation room yeah i mean
1: i can go more in depth just yes yes
0: please do yes so
1: it's exactly what you're describing so it's a semi truck that has a double bump out and i now know all different kinds of semi trucks (laughs) but basically that means that when it's parked it can expand and be triple its size so there's basically a room now on the back of a truck if you've ever seen like a nascar activation or i think (laughs) mcdonald's even has one um it's the same idea Um, But what's on the inside of ours is a cyber range. So it's rows of chairs and computers. We have a full data center on board. It's self-generating power, clean network. And we can, again, run these simulated cyber attacks and let organizations test them um, in their own kind of city. So rather than having to come to Cambridge, they can find us on the road there. Um, It's traveling around Europe. Um, But it's really really innovative and probably one of the coolest places I've ever worked. I got to visit it. Uh I was in Finland last fall for it and that was really awesome.
0: That's that's awesome. I just a funny thought popped in my head. It's just kind of like a hacker's on a world tour just yeah. going going to your company to
1: Exactly. To with our little transformer.
0: Yeah, with your little transformer exactly. A little Optimus Prime in there. Yeah. But um just now pivoting again, but what are what are some of the most dangerous ways a hacker could get someone's information that, you know, Now you got to use the truck to get over to them and kind of deal with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the way that organizations are getting attacked might be malware, might be ransomware, might be a Trojan, whatever the end state is, a lot of the ways that it starts is really through that social engineering, through that human aspect. Um, 93% of data breaches start at a human. And a big thing that I like to point out is that it's not always the person that you think it is. It could just be someone who works at the company and has the same three emails and the same three passwords. So it's actually just all the information that we're sharing about us, whether it's on social media or wedding announcements or newspaper articles. There's just so much out there about us. So if we're not aware that you know, that information is there and the threat actors are going to make use of it, then that's going to ultimately kind of to, to hurt us. Something I was most recently looking at was actually how much information you can get from a boarding pass. Really? So if you had your boarding pass lying around in the airport <clears throat> or you threw it out or however they got a hold of it, they can start to get your information really a lot easier than I thought. So that's something I'm looking into now.
0: That's so interesting and just the fact because something that I've I've personally uh, dealt with recently um, as I'm, I'm I'm applying to internships and I'm applying to, to kind of jobs for the summer I've had these fake emails pop up and they you know fake interviews and now recently I had where they they actually had my phone number they sent me an email and then they sent me a, a, a voicemail saying they were Valentine or whatever for this company. And then they gave me a specific address to go to, and obviously, you know, I, I'm, I know better. I, I'm technologically literate enough to kind of realize that this is a scam. But it's just kind of interesting to where there are people who who could fall for this, and it's all because of, like you said, social, kind of, you know, just knowledge. Just there's going to be college students who are. Hungry for a job' they're, they're trying to get their first internship, they're trying to get their first job, and they will show up to these random places and what are the, what's going to happen when they show up to these random places? but I just think it's it's interesting that uh, hacking has gotten more so moved away from the the technological field not in it, it it's still the the basic kind of malware and things like that, but now it's just focusing and targeting you know people's emotions, people's drives, what they're what they're actually doing in life.
1: Yeah. And it's exactly what you're saying. You know, it's not necessarily being technological literate or anything like that, but students are wanting to get jobs. There's a sense of urgency, a sense Mm -hmm. of need. So you're quickly reading your emails. You're excited that you got something. So it's playing on those emotions. So, you know, if we slow down and take a moment to think, well, is this actually legitimate? Is this from someone I know? Should mm-hmm. I be clicking this link? Have I inspected who this is coming from? And right. not letting our emotions get in the way of security is absolutely a big component.
0: And and just for the listeners, what are the kind of three ways that y- you can better protect yourself from kind of these scams and just in general?
1: Yeah. For me, actually, the number one is just to slow down. It's mm-hmm. not anything technical. It's not anything that requires you to even use your phone or whatever, but just slow right. down and and think. Use... Go through those checks and balances of mm-hmm. Is this someone I know. Is this someone I trust? Is this a valid link? Is this a valid yeah. document? Just going through that. So number one, just slowing down. Right. Number two, I would say is to change your passwords. If you're yeah. questioning whether or not you are secure, just change your passwords, but don't change them all to the same thing. Um, <laughs> the new standard is 15 characters. Um, 15? Yeah, so not something that, the average person can easily remember. So we have now password phrases. So if you can remember a sentence about your account, like this is the account that I use to book trips to Aruba, great, that can be a password. Mm -hmm. You can add a number at the end of the year that you went to Aruba even. Mm -hmm. Just make it as long as possible by using those different sentences or take the first letter of each of those words in the sentence, something along those lines. And then number three, I would say, and this one's a little harder, but just being more conscious when you're connected to public internet, what you're Uh, doing. Yeah. A lot of the attacks that we see happen when you're connected to what you think is a legitimate public Wi-Fi, but it's actually a threat actor setting up a false Wi-Fi. So just being more conscious about that. So if you're at an airport, you're at a hotel, not necessarily doing online banking, shopping, personal or confidential things.
0: Right, yeah, and just (laughs) when you said fifteen characters, it made me think my password. I've I've had the same password since I was eight years old and got my first computer. (laughs) So I will definitely be changing my password after this. But just just hearing you speak and hearing the passion behind it, what makes you so passionate about speaking about cybersecurity and what makes you kind of want to be a keynote speaker for these conferences?
1: Yeah, I think number one, it's something that I find really fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. and I think everyone has something that they find fun and interesting that they like to talk about but I'm just lucky enough that it's something that's relevant to everyone so if you think about conversations where maybe it's sports or politics but you're talking about something and someone that you're talking to is equally as excited and you're going back and forth and you're playing on each other's adrenalines and everyone's getting super hyped up that's the kind of conversations that I just find when I talk about cybersecurity. maybe Mm -hmm. not right away maybe there's Hesitation of what is she talking about? Is this relevant? But when you talk about something that is relevant to everyone in the audience, whether they're five years old or 80 years old or an executive or an yeah, admin, exactly. whatever they are, it's relevant. So just I get an adrenaline rush from seeing everyone else get so eager to start to make these changes, whether it's changing their password, getting more, a more robust security program, but just seeing those initiatives make mm-hmm. it a, just a whole lot more fun for me to be up there
0: yeah and and you do a really great job of of reeling and hooking in people because uh for someone who i i, I would say i'm a, a, i have a, an above average knowledge of technology when when compared to you know the american people but it, it's still something where it can definitely be a little um like it could lull some people to sleep but when you talk about it, you can hear the passion in your voice, and in your you know, technology is something where it's not going away. It's only, it's only going to keep going. It's only going to keep being more immersed in our lives. And so, learning how to protect yourself from people who want to use that, you know, who are better equipped with that technology and can hurt you in more ways outside of technology is something that's super important and that everyone should should be aware of.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and I think a big reason maybe why I find it so natural to speak about, and we've seen it and talked about it with kind of the the spy kid part is that it's just really been a part of my life for, you know, Mm -hmm. technology even has been a part of who I am. So, you know, I could also equally talk as much about sports. I've been playing sports my whole life. So if it's just things that we're always thinking about, which is why there's such a push for STEM programs and cybersecurity Mm -hmm. programs for schools, because if we can get, you know, young kids to just be thinking and talking about it when they're 10 years old. Then it's just going to be something that we're all thinking about when we get into the workforce.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for being a part of this interview. Uh, if you have anything to to talk about, if you have anything to to, to promote, this is your time
1: just kind of wrapping things up, I would want to emphasize that there really is a need for talent in this space. There's over 2 million open jobs in cybersecurity, so you don't necessarily need to know anything about it now, but if you have that interest or even a passion to learn about it, there's a space for everyone, even if it's technical or not technical. Um, One of my colleagues is a theater major, so she has a more creative background, but it really plays such a role in cybersecurity, so it doesn't matter the background, but just giving it a thought that cybersecurity is a really great industry to work in. Um, But also just for any listeners who are maybe from organizations who are thinking that they need to build up their cyber program or anything along those lines, we have the the, uh, cyber range here in Cambridge where we run scenarios every day Um, we're on the road in Europe, we're bringing scenarios to you. So feel free to check out our website. Um, You can find me on Twitter. It's just my full name and really reach out. uh, And we'd love to see you either on the cyber range or at various events.
0: Yes. And IBM is the best for that. Haley, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your time. Thank you. As always, the links to our socials can be found in the description below. Thanks for listening to Behind the Podium, a podcast by GTS Educational Events. Visit our website mngts.org for the full lineup of podcasts and to learn all about the exciting events we have coming up.